If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome back. Rob Regenridge with you. Our final half hour here this afternoon. So this marks the end of what's been a, a really tumultuous and I think pivotal week for Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, who after weeks of very openly opposing a vaccine passport, finally relented and announced that Alberta is going to get one, although he calls it something different. You know, we've let things get to a pretty dire point in terms of our health care system. So uh, it remains to be seen whether we'll avoid disaster here. Politically, whether Jason Kenney is going to avoid disaster is another question. There's some rumblings in caucus that we keep hearing about. No open rebellion just yet. There's also the concern that this could have some bearing on Monday's federal election and whether this is all somewhat problematic for federal conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. Well, someone who's been following all of this very closely and uh, I think in a way has been a big part of the story and some of the important and tough questions he's been putting to the premier and some top officials. He is none other than uh, Sun Media columnist Rick Bell. And he joins us on the line here this afternoon. Rick, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us here today. Uh, Thank you for having me, Rob. You've covered many Alberta premiers. You've covered Jason Kenney for for many years. When you look at his political career, how how important do you think this week is going to turn out to be? Well, it started by, I mean, I think Wednesday night when he was talking about the uh, new COVID regime uh, was very important. And I think it was a test that he failed because people are, I don't think the reviews were very great for that. I think the next two weeks are going to be very pivotal to see if we actually see something beyond the rumblings that you mentioned, and then if we see something more open, uh, more of an open rebellion. What's interesting now is that this is not one side of of the UCP caucus or the other side. It's not just the, you know, we want fewer restrictions or we want more restrictions. We're the right, we're the left. It's They're they're oddly, uh, there are people united on both sides, and they're united in their uh, let us say, a distaste for the leadership of Jason Kenney to be charitable. Um, and you saw that with, you know, Richard Gottfried's comments on one side, and he was definitely not what you would call a quote-unquote right-wing conservative. Then you obviously know the rumblings from the past already from people who would be judged to be more on the Wall Rose side, if you will, or the, or okay. the more conservative side. But I don't think it is now conservative or not conservative or how conservative or even completely the stand on COVID. I think there have been rumblings for a long time, and this is just another reason now that Alberta is so, you know, is a national story, is an international story. And, and what has happened here, I think that just has made it uh, much more likely, I'm not saying it's going to happen, you know, we have to have some people who are courageous if they want to make a move, but there are people who are talking much more seriously, more seriously than ever before, about replacing 
Jason Kenney as leader of the UCP. Not saying it's going to happen. It could be all talk and no walk, but but we'll be seeing probably in the days following the federal election whether whether that comes to nothing or something. Well, and there's there's a curse, it seems, on Alberta premiers. I mean, not since Ralph Klein has a premier won election and then won re-election. And uh, it'd be interesting to see if Jason Kenney is, is caught by that curse. But clearly something has shifted. And I think people are seeing it in, in you, Rick, and in, in how you've been covering the premier. And, and it feels like, like I, I don't want to say you've turned on him necessarily, but I, I see a shift in, in how you view him. Yes, I mean, I... I first uh, knew Jason Kenney when he was still a uh, advocate for taxpayers in the early, early, earliest days of Ralph <laughs> Klein. So we're talking... Yeah. Uh, Many years ago. Oh, well, yeah, almost 30 years ago. I yeah. mean, I knew Jason Kenney when he, when, you know, when he was in his mid-20s. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's... I don't think I've shifted so much. I think he's the one that's done the shifting, and as a result... Mm-hmm. It kind of looks like I have done the shifting. Um, I just don't recognize this particular Jason Kenny. Um, and people, you know, I do get the emails from people saying uh, that I'm secretly a mole for the NDP and I'm secretly the right. BFF of Rachel Notley and all this uh-huh. nonsense. Yeah. It's funny, when I talk to people in the NDP, guess what they tell me? We want, oh, you're a- we want Jason yeah. Kenny. Don't don't be so hard on him. We want to keep him. We want to run against him. So I mean, I I I'm I'm like the guy sitting up in the press box at the Saddle Dome. If the Flames are losing five nothing, I cannot be expected to not ask the coach what the hell is going on. I can't be expected to write columns that say, "Gee, those Flames are not that bad. They lost five nothing, but it could have been ten nothing." Exactly. Or, or they're from Calgary, and I guess I've just got to sort of put lipstick on a pig here. And oh, at least there was one defenseman who wasn't asleep. Um, you know, that's not that's not what what we do. My job is not to be a pamphleteer for Jason Kenny or Rachel Notley or Ralph Klein or the Man in the Moon. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is. Uh, there is a, a situation here, you know, the, there's the COVID situation, there's misjudgments the Premier made, there's uh, chances in the late summer where there could have been some adjustments and they weren't made. Are we supposed to, you know, are people like me or you in the media supposed to ignore all of that? Um, and uh, could you imagine what some of these people who make these claims would say if it was Trudeau? Could you imagine if Trudeau was the one who had an open for summer plan? And Trudeau was the one who who was holding the bag on this. Wow, your your phone lines would be open for hours on end. You'd have to have a show 24-7. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and on top of this, you pointed out in your intro, there's the whole factor of this is all happening a few days before Election Day. And this allows people to unfair as it may be, to try to tie Aaron O'Toole with Jason Kenney. Interestingly, Jason Kenney was an O'Toole backer in the leadership race where Andrew Scheer won, and he was an O'Toole backer this time in the leadership race that O'Toole did win. So it's not just that he's, you know, he actually is a, you know, good friend of O'Toole. It's not just that he's... uh, 
that O'Toole is a conservative leader. But now this is happening on the last weekend. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, I, I get the sense maybe part of the reason why Kenny was laying low through August was, you know, not to upset the apple cart in any way in the federal election. Well, then he comes in, what, five days before the vote and, and drops this bomb. I mean, <laughs> it's got to be uncomfortable for Aaron O'Toole. We'll see how things play out on Monday. But, you know, it sounds like there could be some some reckoning there. Well, yeah. And a couple of days ago, I was just flipping channels. And right after the, you know, right after the announcement and what's the first questions that are being asked of the of the leaders alberta 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 jason kenny jason kenny jason kenny and uh so you've got kenny has problems within the ucp are all those ucp mlas ndpers secretly i mean that's crazy they aren't they are worried that they are going to go down with the ship if kenny stays now i'll be fair to to premier kenny I will reach out to him right now on your radio program, if I may. Change your strategy, my friend. Change it. But he doesn't. The apology that's not an apology. The explanations that are not explanations. Uh, You know, I mean, he has got to do something. Mm -hmm. He has got to, to reverse his own course, and I don't know if that's going to happen. Well, I think part of it is his instincts, which in, in you know more normal times serve him well. But the yeah. idea of being a fighter, never taking a backward step, I, th- I think it's got him in some trouble here. Yes, yes, and and you know he he often cites uh, uh, Ralph Klein, and of course I covered Ralph and even drank with yeah. Ralph. Uh, I I don't see that kind of. Humility. Sometimes humility is effective in communicating with people when, you know, you screw up. And this was a very big gamble, and the gamble failed. And the gamble failed not because there was open for summer. The gamble failed because of the messaging around open for summer, which was the open for good. The pandemic is ending. Let's party hardy. Uh, and that got, you know, that, and, and no sense that there could be a fallback position, you know, let's, let's get rid of the masks. Let's have a nice summer, but let's be cautious. Let's remember that there's this evil character called Delta and that Delta character could do something really bad. So let, no, there was no sense of that. It was just, you know, all that was missing was the mission accomplished banner. And and I think people who don't follow the news that closely just thought it's over or virtually over. And and let's point out, people talk about the vaccination rate being low, and there's probably a lot of reasons for that. But could one of the reasons be that some people might did not get vaccinated in the summer because why get vaccinated about for something that's no big deal? I actually believe, and I've been told by others that they also believe that part of the vaccination rate problem just a part just one very small part is is the fact that the messaging was that it was no longer a pandemic and therefore some people would say well you know i can i can put it off for a while and see what happens right well and we we picked a low bar i mean you know 70 percent first doses was enough to end all restrictions it feels to me like the message was that's as much as we need we've got it covered so Correct. the vaccination thing we're, we're at the level we need to be at everything's good i i think that that didn't help well and i you know i and i was in 
Vancouver in August and walking uh, down by the uh, the seawalk down there, and and there were people at uh, out there getting people to come in to get vaccinated. Like they were literally coming out, like you know people who have, who stand outside nightclubs. Come on, come on, come in. We got the best show, and they were actually Vancouver Health people coming out saying, hey, have you got your second dose? Have you got your first dose? Come on in. We, you know, we'll give you a button. We'll give you a card. Come in. I mean, they were literally really uh, trying to push, to push that, whereas we didn't hear that much about vaccinations in the summer. So the messaging yeah. was bad. His messaging is just awful. His communications on so many things in so many ways has been awful all the way through his premiership. But in COVID, where the communication is so essential, that poor handling of communications is fatal. So, you know, people in the media, uh, you know, you know, I don't have any secret, uh, you know, there's no secret, I'm not part of any secret conspiracy. The, fact, the premier knows my, my cell phone number, he can phone me. His staff knows my cell phone number. They can phone me, and they can try to explain their position, either him or other people in his government or other people who work for him. I'm an open book. They can they can contact me. They well, have. Sounds like they conveniently uh, they they conveniently missed your question. They didn't get you yesterday. I, I noticed it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I noticed uh, suddenly. You know, uh, suddenly we had questions from <laughs> hither and yon, and uh, but. Uh, you know, I was I was left out. Oh well, you know, I I kind of almost sort of expected that, and you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But I honestly believe yeah. that that once the federal election is over on Monday, I do not necessarily think that anything has happened. Maybe nothing will happen, and Jason Kenney will continue on. But there is another school of thought that says that there will be more visible. Uh, unrest as this goes on, particularly if the COVID situation just continues to get worse, even with the new rules. So it's it's still, it's not over yet. COVID's not over, definitely, but, you know, the political woes of Jason Kenney may also not be over. But those that's out of my hands. Like I said, I'm the guy sitting up in the press box. I'm just watching <laughs> the hockey game and seeing uh, who scores what goals and what team wins. Well, your latest dispatch, it's up at calgarysun.com. Rick, uh, again, always a pleasure. I'm glad you can make some time for us here today. Oh, Appreciate anytime. it. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Uh, there you go. Veteran uh, scribe, columnist uh, Rick Bell, uh, calgarysun.com for his latest. And uh, there you go. His thoughts on uh, Kenny's bad week. Rob Regenridge with you. We'll get back to your phone calls uh, in a bit here, but I want to get our next guests in the conversation. Uh, They certainly pull no punches at the newsletter, The Line, which you can find at theline.substack.com. And that's especially true with the latest piece uh, from our next guest. Jen Gerson is the founder of The Line, as mentioned, theline.substack.com. And her take today that Jason Kenney is, um, well, let's say screwed in her words, but maybe a different word. Jen Gerson, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So why was this, as in yesterday or last night, such a a bad day for Jason Kenney? Okay, so I think to answer that question, we have to go back to May, what was happening in May. Mm -hmm. You remember that his caucus was essentially starting to revolt. He was starting to lose uh, UCP MPs and a 
essentially the province was divided between kind of a more left-leaning flank that was asking for various degrees of more restrictions and a right-leaning flank that was just not tolerating any restrictions. So, uh, you know, um, some signals being what they were, comparative um, uh, uh, nations were starting to indicate that, like, the uh, pandemic was on the wane. And so he basically took a gamble. The gamble wasn't on lifting restrictions. I think anybody would have done that in a similar situation. The gamble was that he made a big show of it. He said, Alberta's open for summer. We're back to good, back to normal. And he built himself no exit strategy in that. And he did that in order to, you know, in order to keep his rest of sort of rightward flank um, quiet and also to win against basically the, the, the left, left, more leftward flank, flank that was wanted more restrictions. If it had worked, it would have worked very well. He would have been the conquering hero who conquered conquered COVID, and he could have used that to try to rebuild his reputation in the province. The problem is that that is a high risk, high reward strategy. If you if you lose that gamble, you lose it hard, and he lost that gamble. And I don't think he can really recover from that. Well, yeah, and you know, I wrote something at the time. You know, when we got the announcement from the Kenny from Kenny that we'd reached the the seventy percent, we got the open for summer, and I said, okay, look, you know, kind of like what you said, this is on him. If this works, he gets his victory lap, and you know, he's the one who who proved the naysayers wrong, and and he'll be a, a hero. But if this goes badly, it's it's a hundred percent on him. I mean, and with past waves, he's been able to you know blame the the liberals for the border, blame the liberals for not getting the vaccines. But th- this this was on him, wasn't it? Completely on him. Utterly on him. And like, there was an alternative here. He could have said, look, things are starting to look good. We're going to start to ease restrictions. We're going to do this in a very cautious and careful and and, and measured way. And if we start to see signs that um, the case numbers are rising again, we're going to shift gears. He could have gone in with that sort of um, mature kind of sober approach. And if he had done that, he would not be screwed today. He would be able to have pulled back sooner and he would have been able to say, you know what, guys, you know, we were optimistic back in May, but obviously this virus has confounded us and it wouldn't it wouldn't have been irrecoverable. You know what I mean? Like he, he, people would have been angry, of course, but it, it, it wouldn't have been irrecoverable. Um, the combination of the catastrophic flip flop, the results in the ICU wards, which I expect are going to get much worse, and also just his entire tenor and tone, his approach in his press conference yesterday add up to someone who, ha- who has damaged his own personal credibility to a level of, of irrecoverability on this file. The timing obviously was, was you know, irreversible, right? He waited until he waited. He had, so last night we got the announcement. So the timing, there was no changing. Uh, the flip-flop was inevitable. But was there anything he could have said differently? You mentioned, you know, the tone where on the one hand he apologizes, then on the other hand he's, he's very combative and, and really not apologizing at all. Was there a way to at least have sold this better last night? He needed to go in there blubbering and begging for forgiveness. Like, he needed to put his pride on the table and go in there and be like, I thought we were right. I This is why we were optimistic back then. Turns out we were completely wrong. I'm so sorry. I screwed up. That's it. There was, like, there was, like, the problem that he has here is that this is the problem with the longish premium. This is someone who can understand the lay of the land, but not how people feel. Okay? So, technically, he's kind of right when he says that indefinite lockdown style approaches aren't sustainable in the long run, right? right? That, that's, that's not incorrect. And it's not incorrect to note 
that, for example, the more effective your lockdown is at containing spread, the longer you are prolonging the crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is correct, and that is a problem we've got to deal with because I don't think that we can push our vaccination rates up much higher than we have. So if this is a vaccination rate that we more or less have, and it might be, it might not be, I don't know, but if 70% is it, that's where we top out in this province, that means that the only way the pandemic is over is when it burns through the remaining 30%. Okay? So he's not wrong to note that the more we invite restrictions that slow the spread, essentially the longer the pandemic goes on. That is the paradox of COVID, and it always has been. However, that's not what he needed to communicate yesterday. What he needed to communicate yesterday was, I screwed up. I'm a catastrophic mess up. I feel awful. I take full responsibility. I'm responsible. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. That was the only message that could have salvaged his situation yesterday. Um, and honestly, I mean, he set himself up for this three months ago. But like yesterday was the only that was the only way he could have salvaged it, and he just couldn't bring himself to do it. It seems quiet today. I know there was one conservative MLA, Richard Godfrey from Calgary, who. Um you know, in a comment thread on Facebook was sort of apologizing, you know, and saying we, we screwed this up. But otherwise, I'm not seeing any kind of open rebellion. No MLAs are, are, are defecting today. But is this kind of the calm before the storm, do you think? Yeah, because, of course, the restrictions that have been imp- imp- uh, implemented yesterday aren't, aren't strong enough. Right. That's that's the thing that's the problem here. We don't have a lockdown. We have a very confusing vaccine mandate. I mean, everything that's been introduced is a half measure. It's a half measure that I presume was compromised on at every single level in order to keep the caucus together. So the, the measures aren't going to be enough to, to fundamentally stem the case rate, which means our ICUs are probably going to get overwhelmed and we're going to be looking at lockdown in a couple of weeks. So like, we're going to have to lock down eventually. That's, that's the question. It's just a question of how bad we're going to hospitals get before we do it at this point. Like I, I, I have no optimism left. I've got none. So are we going to wait until we have to invoke the critical care triage protocol before we go to a lockdown? Is that is that actually the question here? And I think that Olive Burton should probably familiarize himself with that protocol now. Uh, it's publicly available. Um, you should read it and you should understand what it means. Um, doctors who try to scare people by using terms like, quote unquote, healthcare collapse. I think that that is a very scary and misleading term. When you look at the triage protocol, you can see that it's bad. But yeah. it, 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 it's not quite the same thing as a healthcare collapse to invoke that. But nonetheless, I think that people should probably read that and probably prepare themselves for it. Because if we have to invoke that protocol and you have, you know, stage four pancreatic cancer and, and acute COVID, you're not going to get a ventilator. That ain't you. If your prognosis of um, dying in, over the course of a year is sort of, I think, it, I think the, the triage protocol suggests that, uh, if you have an 80% chance of dying in the next year, you don't get access to an ICU bed. You get sent off to the room with the nice sunny lit view and a lot of morphine, and that's your that's your time. So if that's something that you're willing to risk, then um, consider not getting vaccinated because that's where this is going. We'll leave it there, Jen. Uh, much more is mentioned at the line, theline.substack.com, and uh, your piece that's up today. Appreciate making some time for us here this afternoon, Jen. Thanks. Thank you. All right, Jen Gerson, uh, co-founder of The Line, the newsletter, theline.substack.com. So, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think she's right. Things are going to get worse. And we're probably going to get to that triage protocol, which is scary and was avoidable, I think.
So here, here's the questions that Jen puts out there. Number one, and it's a more pessimistic take, as she acknowledges, but I, I, I can't sit here and say she's wrong, that we may still end up with a lockdown anyway. Yesterday was not an announcement of a lockdown. You know, it was certainly an announcement of new restrictions. The idea of the vaccine passport is to keep restaurants open, to keep gyms open, uh, to keep other activities going. You know, certainly the Oilers and the Flames uh, getting very close to preseason and regular season. Uh, they were very much intend to hope to have fans in the stands. So the kind of lockdown the Jen's talking about would basically be none of that. No more indoor dining. No more going to the gym. No fans in the stands at the Oilers or Flames games or for that matter at your kids hockey game. Is it going to get to that point? God, I hope not. But I can't rule it out. And, you know, as bad as yesterday was for Jason Kenny, just think about that. So, yeah, at some point, maybe that becomes the conversation that, that can this guy continue? I, I don't get the sense today that there's any kind of imminent um, overthrow attempt within caucus, but I have no idea what's going on in caucus. I have no idea what MLAs are saying to, to one another or any concerns of their voice into the premier's office. So, do you still fear that we're going to get hit with that lockdown anyway? And B, do you think Kenny can either survive this and and recover from this? Well, good afternoon, Alberta. Welcome aboard. Rob Breckenridge with you. Thanks for joining us uh, this hour. Plenty to discuss, obviously, as we digest uh, the news last night, the announcement, and try to make sense uh, of what this all means. It's uh, very much a reversal on the part of Jason Kenney, uh, not just uh, a reversal on the issue of vaccine passports, but I think just a, a broader reversal on this idea that uh, the pandemic was over. It's obviously very not over in Alberta, and uh, there is clearly a need for some response. Now, in terms of the idea of a, um, a restriction exemption program, I mean, I'm on board with that. I, I think it makes sense right now. I think it made sense probably a few weeks ago. Uh, the way it was announced last night, uh, I, I don't know that it, it lent itself to a, a fulsome understanding of how this is all going to work. And I know businesses still have a lot of questions about whether they need to apply for this, uh, how vaccine proof is going to be demonstrated, who's going to enforce all of this, et cetera, et cetera. So there certainly was a lot crammed into that announcement last night. And so I think regardless of what side of things you're on, it was... Um, you know, it wasn't a good news announcement. Like I said earlier, I don't know that anyone's really feeling great about things here today. So joining us to talk a bit more about the government's handling of this, how this was all communicated last night, what it means uh, for Jason Getty himself and his uh, position as premier, how his caucus is feeling about all of this. Uh, joining us for some thoughts is uh, Sun Media columnist Lauren Gunter. Uh, great piece up today, EdmontonSun.com. Lauren, thanks for making some time for us here. Welcome to the program. Hey, thank you. I mean, did anything surprise you last night, first of all? Yes. Yes, it did. Is it? Like I, I didn't have any inkling that they were going to be this comprehensive. They, they have been very, very, the, the premier in particular has been very, very reluctant to uh, bring in what anything that could be referred to as a lockdown and anything that could be referred to as a passport. And yet we've got both of those last night. I thought we were going to get a few more uh, restrictions. I, I'd heard that, you know, we were going to get uh, restaurants that didn't, uh, uh, ask for passport or ask for vaccine proof. 
would be restricted to outdoor dining. Well, going into the fall in Alberta, that's not that's not very attractive. Uh, outdoor dining and pickup. So, uh, but you know the extent of this. With once again, you know, I, I, I've gone through this list number of times now, different restrictions on adult sports than youth sports on uh, fully vaccinated people having indoor uh, social events versus weddings and funerals. And it it is, to me, um, very confusing and intellectually conflicting. Like, I, I can't tell with the exemption program whether our daughter, who got married just about two weeks ago now, would still be able to have a reception if there was someone at the door checking vaccine certification? Yeah. Uh, or, or would they not? Uh, you know, are we going to have uh, a Thanksgiving? Like we typically have about 25 people at major, uh, at, at major holidays for a family dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you read the first paragraph of, of yesterday's announcement, we won't be able to do that because even fully vaccinated people can't gather in groups of larger than 10. But if I can't get together with the family indoors with groups larger than 10, how in heaven's name can a bar allow 200 people in because they're checking vaccine certificates at the door? You know, this is the sort of thing that I think more than anything else just infuriates people is you can't understand what the regulations are. It's not clear why a specific activity is is curtailed uh and it's not even clear how this you know register this vaccine certification exemption program is going to work so mm-hmm. uh, yeah that, that i think that that's lost me right like i've i've been actually pretty good to this government up to this point i i think a lot of things that did make sense i think i thought it made sense to open for summer you know when if you looked at the the science that was coming in from uh, the UK and 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 uh, some of the uh, Southeast Asian countries about vaccination. When they got to the level we were at at the beginning of summer, it, serious cases and infection numbers decoupled. So you would get lots of infections in some cases, but you weren't getting anywhere near as many serious cases, hospitalizations, and ICU. But uh, but we are, and and there's no good explanation for what that is. But I thought, you know what, everybody else who's tried this, the Brits, for example, um, they were successful. For some reason, we haven't been. And uh, so I think, yeah, they have to go back to do this. But if you're going to go back and do this, you have to make it, you have to lead with the carrot, not the stick. You have to lead with the, hey, look, we know it's bad, but we're trying to, to work around this by giving this exemption to businesses and families and social activities where you only have vaccinated people. Let's put the onus on the unvaccinated to get vaccinated, prove they've been vaccinated, then we can let them go to all the events and stores and concerts and hockey games they want to, too. Yeah. Uh, that's how I would have led with this. But they led with the, hey, we're locking everything out. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> there's this semi-confusing exemption program. Yeah, and and I think it did confuse a lot of people. I and mean, people were even asking last night. It's on social media. The way can the Oilers and Flames still have fans? And like, yep. as far as I can tell, that that they're still fine with that. But yep. you know, I mean, it's it's easy to understand how people were really left wondering about a lot of this stuff. Well, you know, as as the father of a bride two weeks ago, yeah. uh, I had direct experience of planning in COVID, 
And we were very, very lucky that we were open for summer. We were still under the, you know, the very, very light restrictions. I mean, there were a couple of restrictions, but they didn't really apply to us. We got the mask mandate the Thursday before the wedding. The wedding was on a Sunday. Um, and uh, then the, the, the province also restricted alcohol sales to 10 p.m. with consumption at 11. So that's, that's a little early for a wedding reception. So we we had to, to to live with a couple of those things. So mm-hmm. I, I I know what I was looking for when the the details came out last night. We're thinking, wow, we were really lucky to get the wedding in when we did. Uh, what would have what would it have looked like were we having it this weekend rather than two weekends ago? And you know. Yeah. I'm I'm not trying I'm not trying to boast I'm fairly clever about reading through bureaucratic <laughs> yeah. baffle gab and I could not figure out whether or not the reception could still have gone ahead if people could show proof of vaccination right because it's not up to the bride and groom right I mean it, it's I think it's dependent on the facility so it would have to be the facility's policy so yeah. even if you know your your daughter's getting married and you decide look we're only inviting vaccinated people we'll check at the door it, it wouldn't matter if it wasn't the venue's policy, right, I think. Right, right. And between September 20th and October 25th, people who have only one shot can be admitted. After October 25th, you have to be fully vaccinated to be admitted. That mm-hmm. makes sense to me. I get that. You're giving people a little bit of time to get off of this, I'm not getting the vaccine kick, uh, and get vaccinated. Fine. I, that makes sense to me. But there is there was no clarification in any of this as to... Uh, how you're going to do that until people can get their their uh, vaccine passports, and let's call them that because that's what they are, uh, printed off of the provincial website. And there was a cryptic little message at the bottom of the announcement last night that said, yeah, yeah, we said you could go on the website as of September 16th, but please don't do that. It's not ready yet. You'll have to get your certificates as of September 19th. Yeah, but the rules come in on the 20th. I, they're going to crash that site. I oh, yeah. guarantee yeah. you they're going to crash that site. Um, and then there's going to be a lot of people walking around with those papers that they got when they went to get their uh, vaccination saying, well, this should be good enough. And, and businesses not knowing whether they're going to get a fine if they let in people who have the paper that they were given at the vaccine clinic as opposed to the official certificate. I mean, this is why it's... I. I I called it a uh, shambles because it is. It is. So what does this mean for Jason Kenny? or more to the point? I mean, what does it mean for Aaron O'Toole? I, I think this this whole bit of business, look, I think anti-vaxxers are, are causing problems for Jason Kenny. I think Jason Kenny's problems are, are causing trouble for Aaron O'Toole. I think in a weird way, a lot of this plays into the hands of Justin Trudeau. What about the political fallout from that? Yeah, Trudeau was pumping on this this morning already saying, oh, yeah, if you elect Aaron O'Toole, you're just going to get the mess that they have in Alberta. That's what that leads to. O'Toole's policy has always been much more central Canadian in dealing with the vaccine than ours was. Ours was a gamble. Ours was bold. I thought it was a, a, a bold gamble based on the science. That turned out to be incorrect. But, um, uh, you know, I, Trudeau is detached from reality in much of his, in, in many of his his complaints against Aaron O'Toole, uh, you know, like, oh, he's all in favor of two tiered health care, and and you know he would bring back abortion, and all of that is absolute rubbish. Mm-hmm. But uh, so does it matter that 
O'Toole's policy on vaccine passports is different than Jason Kenney's? No, it doesn't matter because Trudeau's going to use it against him again and again and again. And unfortunately, I don't think O'Toole's a very strong candidate. So I doubt very much he's going to fight back at, at the level he needs to in order to overcome that. In fact, I've, I've written a piece for the, the, the Sun newspapers across the country for tomorrow that says you know, the difference between Stephen Harper and Aaron O'Toole and the reason Stephen Harper won three elections and Aaron O'Toole probably won't win this one is that when Harper was confronted with allegations by the liberal uh, party and by their friends in the media, he said, yeah, tough luck. I'm doing it this way. And this is why we're going to do it this way. And I trust voters to understand what we're trying to do and not fall for your scare tactics. And he, and he won. Uh, Aaron O'Toole says, oh, wait a minute. Let me look up what's in the liberal policy manual, and I'll copy that, and we'll put it in our policy manual. <laughs> if Aaron O'Toole loses, because, loses the election on Monday, as I expect he will. I think there'll be a smaller liberal minority than there is now. But if Aaron O'Toole loses on Monday, it will not be because of Jason Kenney. It will be because of Aaron O'Toole. We'll see what happens uh, on Monday. We'll watch for that piece tomorrow. Edmontonsun.com, CalgarySun.com. Lord, appreciate your input here today. Thanks for making some time for us. Hey, you bet. Cheers. Lauren Gunter, uh, columnist uh, for Sun Media, and uh, his thoughts on some of the political fallout from this, but just some of the confusion here. And look, and, and Lord Gunter, is, as he said... You know, is is a pretty solid conservative. Has has been willing to defend to go to bat for Jason Kenney and his approach in the past, but feels like uh, the premier kind of lost him last night. So I don't know. You, you, you kind of feeling like Lauren Gunter's feeling here today? Are, are you mad, but for different reasons, or is is this still maybe one you're willing to give the premier a pass on? Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770CHQR.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.